0: Hello friends, welcome to Emmanuel Cares Casting Nets and Raised with Jesus podcast. Yes, three podcasts hosting the same content, wonderful content as we are looking through the book of Job together in an online way. You don't need a Bible sheet of any kind. Just sit back, listen to me read from the Evangelical Heritage Version and discover together how we can find peace through life's unpredictable paths. new camera angle, new friend visiting Job, same great beverage. Grab your beverage of choice. You can have a drink or a sip of it anytime throughout the day, but the best sips are those you take with someone else. So join with me in a simultaneous sip together. Go. That's better when you do it together, don't you think? Today we are looking at chapter 32 to 37 of the book of Job as Job reminds us to find peace in an unpredictable path. Elihu is going to give us some new information, new things to consider. What do we know about Elihu? Elihu has, uh, he is my God is kind of the, the meaning of his name. L, if you see the L in Elihu, that's the Hebrew word for God, G-O-D, not the tetragrammaton, which I threw out in Bible class the other day. Tetragrammaton, which is the Lord in all caps, not the special personal name for God, just a name for God or a higher being. What do we know about him? He is a Buzzite, buz And if he follows from the descendant named Buzz. Buz, from the book of Genesis, that means he is a relative of Abraham's brother Nahor. So he's a, Nahor had a son. Son was named Buzz. Job chapter thirty-two refers to Elihu the Buzzite. So perhaps that's the the connection. Again, we only have the genealogies when it comes and uh, when it comes to the Savior, and when it comes to important people such as well. David, who is in the line of the Savior, so back to the Savior again. Anyhow, Buzzite comes on the scene. He is not mentioned previously in the book of Job, and some scholars will say, Well, it's some editor who is piecing pieces together and putting and just threw this in there uh without um without trying to build up to Elihu's uh presence. But in uh our defense you have a whole chapter where, where I keep, I was going to call him Buzz. I was kept in my head. I'm thinking Buzz Lightyear, not Buzz Lightyear, not Buzz Lightyear. And now you're going to be thinking that now too. Anyway, Elihu, who is not related to Buzz Lightyear, explains why he hasn't said anything in the past and why he's here and what he's about to say. So we have a whole chapter, uh, that fills us in as to why he's here. Buzz, I'm going to say it again. Buzz Lightyear's. <laughs> Buzz Years, not Buzz Lightyear, the Buzzite, Elihu, is going to tell us, he's going to focus on two things about God, God's goodness and God's justice. And he's going to um say, Job, you said this about God's goodness, let me give you a counter to that. You said this about God's justice, let me give you a counter to that. And he's actually going to give some new information um that hasn't been discussed before Elihu is not corrected by Job. Job doesn't say anything. There's space for Job to say something. But then uh, Elihu speaks again. So Elihu actually has four speeches. Job doesn't say anything. When God comes on the scene in chapter 38 to the end of the chapter, end of the book, he has words for Job's friends, but not for Elihu. So that leads us to say perhaps Elihu doesn't deserve the treatment that Job's friends got. Uh, some of the things that Elihu is going to say are true, but not true for Job. But he is the closest of the four friends to get it right. Why is Job suffering? And the peace that uh, Elihu is going to have for Job is the closest of the four friends to true peace, uh, because you're going to talk about uh, God's goodness and justice, and explain why uh, Job is can find peace even when life is unpredictable. So let's go to uh, chapter 32 of the book of Job. These three men gave up trying to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. So Elihu, son of Bacahel, the Buzzite, not Buzz Lightyear, from the clan of Ram, burned with anger. His anger burned against Job because Job had justified himself rather than God. His anger also burned against the three companions because they had no answer for Job, but they nevertheless had condemned Job. Up to this point, Elihu had held back and he had not spoken to Job because the others were older and more experienced than he was. When Elihu saw that the three men had no ready answer, his anchor, anger burned. So Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzzite, responded. He said, I am young and inexperienced in your age. That's why I held back, and I was afraid to tell you what I know. I thought that experience would speak. Many years would give a man wisdom. However, it is the spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty that gives a man understanding. Those are really nice words, right? Wisdom isn't something that is there with age, but comes from the Lord through the Holy Spirit. It is not just the important men who are wise. The elderly are not the only ones who know how to judge cases. That is why now I now say, listen to me. I will declare what I know. Yes, I will. Notice that I waited for you to finish your words. I have listened carefully to your conclusions. The whole time you were searching for the right words, I paid attention to you. But look, not one of you showed Job that he was wrong or came up with an answer for Job. So do not say we have found wisdom, but it is God, not a man, who will have to refute him. Job has not drawn up his speeches against me, so I will not respond to him with arguments like yours. So uh, Elihu says, I'm not going to make this personal. These are just a concept that I'm going to see. I'm going to speak for the Lord. Elihu is going to do that, so that's going to uh, always, sometimes in dangerous territory, but what everything that Elihu says is uh, going to be true, very little bit is not true for Job." For those who are shattered, they no longer respond. They have run out of words. These are Job's friends. Verse 16. I have waited patiently, but since they no longer speak, and they just stand there and do not answer anymore, I will now respond with my contribution. I will now declare what I know. For I am full of words. A wind in my belly is building up pressure. We talked in Bible class how that would be a really cool phrase for someone to say and bring back to the vernacular. A wind in my belly is building up pressure. Of course, in our English language, uh, wind... Uh, And people's uh, speaking isn't necessarily a positive thing. But here we have, uh, that's a picture that's gone back and forth between Job and his, the three friends of, they're speaking to each other and then they they accuse each other of uh, um, just blowing wind past each other. And now Eli, who is kind of building on that, kind of just saying, I've got something to say, I got to get it out. My belly is like unvented wine. This is verse 19. I am like a new wineskin ready to burst, and I intend to speak so that I find relief for myself. Let me open my lips and answer. I will certainly not show favoritism to any man. I will not address any man with flattering titles because I do not know how to pass out flattering titles. If I did so, my maker would quickly carry me away. So he's not going to mince words. He's not going to uh, um, try to flatter Job. He's going to be very direct and of the four friends he's going to be very direct he's going to flat out point fingers he's going to flat out tell job things uh, he is not going to insinuate much it's all going to be right there in the open so here comes his first speech in chapter 33 verse 1 but now job listen to my speech Pay close attention to all my words. Listen because I have opened my mouth. See how my tongue shapes words in my mouth. My speech will reveal my upright heart. My lips express my knowledge plainly. The Spirit of God made me. The breath of the Almighty gave me life. Refute me if you are able. Lay out your case before me. Take your stand. Look, my mouth belongs to God just as your mouth does. Like you, I was snipped off from a lump of clay. Look, you should not be terrified by how awesome I am. Again, this is a nice... I should have that on my study wall, right? As you enter into my study, you see, you should not be terrified by how awesome I am. No, probably not. We would have a little bit more humility. Uh, Eli, who is is very much telling Job, he knows what he's about to say, and he has confidence that what he is saying is right. Pressure from me should not intimidate you. That's the end of verse 7. Now, verse 8. However, you've said this in my hearing, and I did hear the sound of these words. Now now he's going to quote Job. I am pure without any sinful rebellion. I am clean. I have no guilt. But look how God finds pretext to oppose me. He treats me like his enemy. He has put my feet in stocks. He patrols all my paths. Job, listen to this. You are not right. I must refute you. Certainly God is greater than a man. Why do you bring charges against him just because he does not answer all of man's questions? God does speak sometimes one way, sometimes another, but people do not pay attention to it. That's very insightful, verse 14, isn't it? Uh, Today, people would say, I want God to speak to me in some fanciful way that I can understand, and our answer is, he is speaking to us, he has given us his word. In the Old Testament, they would not have had the whole Bible like we have, but they would have had prophets, they would have had ways that God speaks, and it is interestingly enough how Job describes that sometimes God does not speak in the blatant way that you would expect him to speak. He might speak uh, in um, in dreams or um, whispers from others or from whispers. So for us, would we say... This is how God still speaks? No, because the writer to the Hebrews says in the past God spoke to his people through prophets and various dreams and various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, his son, who is Jesus, who is the word, who is the written word we have in front of us. So this is how we are confident that God speaks to us because we have the word. So let's go back to verse uh, 15. Oh, interestingly enough, isn't it interesting? It doesn't matter whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament. People are like, um, I only want to hear God when He comes to me on my terms, and they don't like that God would say. They don't like what God has to say. It doesn't matter if he's, God is whispering in their ears or if He's uh, has something written down. They are um, denying the message based on the way that it was received. Verse fifteen. In a dream, in a vision, in the night when people are falling into a deep sleep, while they slumber on their beds, he whispers a revelation into people's ears, he and he confirms his warnings to them in order to turn a man from his course of action and to suppress a person's pride, he spares his life from the pit, he spares his life from crossing the stream of death, or a person may be disciplined on his bed by pain and by continual agony in his bones, so that his life I lost my place. Ah. so That his life makes food disgusting to him and he has no appetite for delicious food. His flesh wastes away and disappears and his bones which were hidden now stick out. Then his soul draws near to destruction and his life. To those who bring death, if there is a messenger at his side to mediate, one out of a thousand to tell a man was right for him, if he is gracious to him, if he says, spare him from going down to the pit, I have found ransom for him. Then his flesh would become vigorous than it was in his youth. He would return to days of youthful vitality. He would then pray to God and God would be pleased with him. With a joyful cry, he would see God's face and God would restore his righteousness to the man. It's interesting enough that he's talking about an advocate again. When someone is going through difficult times, even the believer, isn't it nice that so you have people praying for them, other Christians, and, of course, the supreme advocate for us, which would be Jesus Christ. Verse 27. Then the man would turn to people and say, I have sinned and I have perverted what is right, yet I have not punished as much as I deserved." God has redeemed my soul from passing into the pit, and my life will see the light. Look, God does all these things with a man, two times, even three times, to bring back his soul from the pit, so that light shines on him among the living. Pay attention, Job, listen to me. Be silent so that I may speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak up, for I would be delighted to declare you innocent. If you have nothing to say, listen to me. Be silent so that I may teach you wisdom. In Bible class, we were remarking at how it seems like Elihu is saying two things at the same time. Job, be quiet. Job, speak up. And we remarked at how a lot of times when we are upset or angry, uh, we sometimes tell people two different things. You know, be quiet. Sit down. You know, come over here. <laughs> sit down. Come over here. You know that kind of stuff. Um, perhaps that's what's going on with Elihu. Perhaps we're reading a little bit into it, but. In either case, Elihu has made his case for God's justice. I'm sorry, God's goodness, how good God is that he um, is there for God's people. Now he's going to talk about God's justice in chapter 34. This is Elihu's second speech. Elihu resumed his speech and said, You learned men, pay attention to me. It is true that the ear tests words as a palate tastes food. So now we should choose for ourselves what is just. We should determine among ourselves what is good. This is what Job said. Now he's going to quote Job. I am in the right, but God has deprived me of justice. Would I lie about what is just for me? His arrow has inflicted an incurable wound on me, though I did not rebel. Who is like Job? He drinks down derision against God like water. So now he's commenting on Job's statement of justice. God isn't being fair. Verse 8. He travels the road with evildoers and he walks with wicked men because he said it is of no benefit to a man when he takes pleasure in God. So then you men with understanding, listen to me. I swear that God never does anything wicked. The Almighty is far from wrongdoing. He repays a man for what he does. He causes the consequences of his ways to catch up with him. God would absolutely not do anything evil. The Almighty does not pervert justice. Those are all those statements. And now he's going to explain them with an interesting concept. He says in verse 13, Did anyone put him in charge of the earth? Did anyone place the whole earth world under his control? That goes back to the, the first principle that's often talked about in theological circles of God has to, somebody has to start everything. It's it, based off of the question that children ask. Uh, who created God? If God created all things, then who created God? And eventually you have to go back, and something has to start everything. God has to be the prime mover. God has to be make the first move. And when it comes to justice, if God, the God of the Bible, is a God who is unjust, then there has to be a God above him that is just because we're all striving for a principle that's already been put into the universe of good and evil, of of justice and righteousness, of punishment for the evildoer and reward for those who do right. There has to be an ideal source of this concept of justice. And Elihu says it's coming from God. God is the source of all of that. Otherwise, if God isn't, if God is unfair, Job, then therefore there has to be a God above him, is the argument. Verse 14. If God had resolved in his heart to recall his spirit and breath to himself, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. But if you have understanding, listen to this. Hear the sound of my voice. Hear the sound of my words. Is it possible that one who hates justice could govern? Will you condemn the righteous one who is mighty? So here, Job is saying, uh, just the whole idea of God being in charge of the world. If he doesn't act... Injustice. That's my uh, device uh, saying something to me. Um, If God is not just, then how can He actually govern? Why would He even be in the? Why would He even be in charge of everything in the first place if He isn't being fair? If He's if He isn't going to balance out the scales? Now, for us as Christians, we know that God uh, balances out the scales through His Son Jesus Christ. None of us are perfect. None of us are going to get to heaven, but we are. The scales are balanced. Uh, because Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf and died on the cross for us, so we are getting to heaven because we are perfect. But that perfection is not something that we have done; that perfection is given to us through Jesus Christ. Back to verse eighteen, he says to kings, "You are worthless." He tells nobles, "You are evil." He shows no favoritism to high officials. He shows no no more regard for the rich man than the poor because they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die, in the middle of the night, people are shaken and they pass away. Even the mighty are taken away effortlessly without a human hand, because God's eyes are on the ways of a man and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness. There is no dark shadow where evildoers can hide, for God does not need to investigate further or to set a time for judgment for a person. God knows everything, right? Verse 24. He breaks mighty rulers without further inquiry, and he sets up others in their place because he knows their deeds, And he overthrows them at night, and they lie crushed. Because of their wickedness, he strikes them in plain sight of everyone. He does this because they turned aside from following him, and they were not wise enough to follow all his ways. They caused the poor to cry out to God. So he heard the cry of the afflicted. Now, up until now, when we're talking about God's justice and, and punishing the evildoer, it's no different than Job's friends. Right? Job's friends kind of said that God is going to be just and he's going to punish the evildoer. But Job's mis- friends, the mistake they made is that he's punishing the evildoers right now. Elihu's point is God's going to punish the evildoer, but not now. He's got a bigger picture because of what he's about to say in verse 29. New information. He says, But if God remains quiet, who can condemn him? If he hides his face, who can observe him? Yeah. You know, if God hides himself from the world, who can go find him? uh god is 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 someone who is can be invisible is far above us we can't just scope him out we can't uh, uh put a uh device on him that we can track him. no one's watching the watcher let's finish off the verse but even if he does. He still rules over both nations and individuals to prevent a godless man from ruling so that the godless man does not lay snares for the people. What if someone says to God, I have accepted my punishment, I will not keep sinning. Teach me about what I do not see. If I have done evil, I will not do it again. Would God then be obligated to repay you on your terms when you refuse to repent? So here is an interesting concept that Elihu speaks, which is actually very applicable for in today's uh, spiritual climate. Today's spiritual climate says God is waiting for you to act. God is waiting for you to repent, and then he's going to do some big thing for you. God is waiting for you to pray, and then he's going to do some big thing for you. He is waiting for you to make an act, or a leap of faith, and then he is going to respond. And Elihu says God doesn't need you to act before he acts. Whether that is when you're going to say, Lord, I'm going to repent, Uh, please act now. Or whether you refuse to repent, no, please act now, (laughs) essentially. Uh, God is going to act regardless because he's a just God. But Job, back to our text. But Job, it is your decision, not mine, so tell me what you know. Men who have understanding say this to me. And any wise people who listens tells me the same thing. Job speaks without knowledge, and his words reveal a lack of understanding. Now, here in the AHV, the quotes end, but I think uh, the, the quote is all the way to the end, where Elihu is speaking of the friends. There's, of course, no quotes in the Hebrew language, so we're kind of making an arbitrary decision what the quote is. Uh, so Job is talking about his friends, and the friends have no kind things to say about Job. I wish that Job would be tested to the limit because he responds like a wicked man. Even if he adds rebellion to his sin, among us he shows his contempt by clapping his hands and he multiplies his, works against, his words against God. That's Elihu's second speech, revealing that God is just. And now we're going to move on to the third speech of Elihu. Then Elihu continued, Do you really think it is right when you say, My righteousness is greater than God's? you even say, What use will this be to me? How will it profit me more than if I sinned? But I will respond to your words and to your friends with you. Look at the heavens and you will see. Take a good look at the clouds. They are high above you. If you have sinned, how does this affect God? If your rebellious deeds are many, what harm can you do to him? If you are righteous, what are you giving to him? What does he receive from your hand? Here is this wonderful truth that Eli, who is expressing, is how God is complete. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need... Um. He he doesn't change who he is and what he does based on the sins that we do. Politicians do that all the time. They're always... Licking their finger to the wind and saying, "Okay, what are people saying and doing?" And maybe we're going to make a law that's going to adjust to what people are doing, so people can affect policy for politicians. Pe- people cannot affect policy for God. You sin, snowskin off of God's back metaphorically for Him to send somebody to hell. If you do something good, God isn't going to say, "Oh, I was my life was so incomplete." until you did that. Uh, there was something missing in my life until you did that. And so it, he emphasizes the complete independence of God, how God is completely independent of the human race. And that's good for us, but then it is also comforting for us that this independence isn't... Um, the comforting is that God never changes, right? Otherwise, you would think, you know, it's been 2,000 years. Doesn't Isn't God kind of wearing down on some of these things, it, doesn't God kind of change his mind over time because people are doing certain sins again and again and again? Doesn't he? Doesn't he evolve in his thinking and and change his mind? Job's friend Eli, who says, "No, God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his thinking. He's completely independent. Doesn't need us. We don't affect him. Like we think we affect him. That makes sense." Verse 8, your wickedness only affects a man like you, and your righteousness only impacts other people. They cry out because of severe oppression. They scream for relief from the arm of the powerful. But no one asked, where is God my maker, who provides songs in the night, who teaches us more than the wild animals of the earth, who makes us wiser than the birds of the sky? Then the wicked cry out, but he does not answer because of their arrogant pride. Certainly, God will not listen to an insincere cry, and the Almighty will pay will not pay attention to it. How much less when you say that you will not see Him, that you do not see Him, and your case has been presented to Him, and that you are waiting for Him. Besides, that you say that His anger has not demanded an accounting, and that He does not fully understand sin. Job opens his mouth pointlessly, and he heaps up words without knowledge. That is Elihu's third speech. Job still hasn't had anything to say. Elihu's going to move on to his fourth speech and he's going to open Job's mind to a possibility that he had not considered before, that God doesn't just send calamity to punish him, but to test us and sometimes even to deliver us. This is chapter 36 of the book of Job. Verse 1, we read, Eli, who kept talking and said, be patient with me a little longer. I intend to inform you further since I have more to say on God's behalf. I will provide you with comprehensive knowledge and I will justify my maker. You can be sure that none of my words are false. A man with complete knowledge is here with you. Again, I'm not going to put that in my study uh, door entering into my office here at Emmanuel Lutheran Church, but wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> a man with complete knowledge is here with you. Um That's not not what I would do. Anyway. Elihu, yes, God is mighty, but he does not despise people. He is mighty and has great understanding. He does not keep a wicked man alive, but he does give justice to the oppressed. He does not turn his eyes away from the righteous. He seats them on thrones with kings and exalts them forever. Again, here, Elihu has a really good idea of God's justice and that it's not tied to this earth and this time frame like um, Job's friends thought, but in all of eternity that there's going to be uh, hell to pay, for lack of a better phrase, for those who reject God, but then also for those who follow after God and and stay faithful, uh, look at the wonderful reward, uh, thrones with kings and and being exalted forever. But if people are bound in chains, verse 8, and they are held captive by cords of affliction, he declares to them what they have done. How arrogantly they have committed rebellious deeds. He opened their ears to accept discipline and he tells them to turn back from wickedness. If they listen and serve him, they will complete their days in prosperity and their years will end in pleasure. Okay, So, Job, Eli, who hasn't finished here, but it's two sides of the coin. God uh, wants to call people to repentance, but in the end, it's up to the human being. He calls the fact that they turn back to God, that's an act of God, but if they reject God, it's their fault. Either way, God calls them to repentance. God wants them to turn away from their sin, but he isn't affected if they reject him. It's all on their fault. Um that's really a neat point that Elihu makes. It's a Lutheran point as well. Why are some people saved and not others? Uh we do great injustice to God's word and we fall into heresy when we try to answer those two questions with one answer. Why are some people saved and not others? If it's completely because of God, then um, th- not others, then God is sending people to hell. Why are some people saved and not others? And it's, if it's completely the work of man, then why do we need grace? Why do we need Jesus? If we've got something good enough uh, to make a decision to, to 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 come to faith in God, that God is actually rewarding us, it's no longer grace. Why are some people saved and go to heaven? Answer, one, because of God's grace and God's activity in that person's heart through the words of means of grace. Why do they go to hell? Because of themselves, that they have rejected God. Job's friend says the same thing. Elihu says the same thing. Verse 12, but if they do not listen, they will be overwhelmed by a stream, and they will breathe their last without knowledge. Godless hearts nourish anger and they do not cry out for help even when he imprisons them. Their souls die when they are still young and they end their lives among the male prostitutes at their shrines. Now, here is new points in verse 15. A new point that uh, neither Job's friends have talked about nor Job has talked about is how God could use affliction for the good of those who are afflicted. That he might actually deliver them from um something. From not from it's not in punishment for a particular sin, but he's actually using affliction to draw them closer to him. That they would hold on to him tightly, that they would hold on to his promises more tightly. And um that would be the reason why uh why they why God might allow something bad to happen. Elihu doesn't know about this competition between Satan and God that is going on in heaven but Elihu comes closest to that truth where God is using this um using Job in this heavenly contest between God and and the devil and he he understands that this in this contest he wants Job to win he wants Job to be stronger at the end of it verse 15 let's read this God delivers the afflicted by means of their affliction, and he gets their attention through their suffering, which is completely different than being punished for sin, right? Okay, back to verse 16. Certainly he is drawing you out of the jaws of distress to a wide open place where you will not be hemmed in. You will be comfortable at your table covered with rich food, but now you are caught up with the judgment of the wicked. The judgment and justice have been have taken hold of you. Watch out so that no one lures lures you with luxury. Do not let a large payment turn you aside. Can your affluence arrange for your security so that you do not suffer want? Here, you know, um Elihu is is this is something that's true, but may not be true for Job of Job thinking that he would if only he would cave uh to people evil people who are going to give him money or influence or or the devil even um then therefore uh, to turn your back on god don't don't succumb to this temptation is what elihu is saying now whether Job was facing that temptation that remains to be seen i guess i, I don't see it in Job, but uh, somebody else might you can comment below if you see it and tell me verse chapter and verse Verse 19, can, you, can your affluence arrange for your security so that you do not suffer want? For even your strongest efforts accomplish that. Do you long for nighttime when nations vanish from their place? Watch out, do not turn to evil because that is why you have been tested for affliction. All right, my mouse isn't cooperating. There we go, verse 25. Listen to me. God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has dictated his way for him? Who has said you have done wrong? (laughs) Remember that you should praise his work, uh, which people have celebrated in song. All mankind have observed it. People can look at it from a distance. Yes, God is exalted far beyond our comprehension. The number of his years is beyond investigation. He draws up drops of water from the sea, and he distills the raindrops to form mist which flow down from the clouds and pour out abundantly on mankind. Indeed, who understands how the clouds spread out? Who understands how the thunder rumbles out of his shelter? Look how he spreads his light all around him, and he covers the bottom of the sea. He uses this to bring judgment on peoples and to provide abundant food. With his hands he grasps the lightning, and he gives it orders as it advances. Through through the thunder he sounds his war cry. The herds sense the coming of the rising storm. Here, and in verse chapter 37, it's going to sound like there is an actual storm coming because Elihu is going to speak so descriptively. And in chapter 38, God's going to speak from a storm. So the thinking is perhaps there really was a storm brewing, and Elihu is describing it and using it in his conversation with Job. I don't know. The other option would be is that this is just poetry, and so... In Hebrew poetry, you have thoughts being joined together. And if Elihu is going to uh, talk about a storm, and then God's going to speak from a storm. And and perhaps he does speak from a storm. We don't know the timeline. If Elihu shuts up, then God speaks. Is that right away or is there time in between? Uh, it's not a narrative story. It's poetry. It's an art form. Now, one of the cool things that Elihu talks about with, with this weather is, is how God can use weather to do good and to bring justice. Um, He can feed the animals and also destroy. Uh, It's true today, isn't it? A storm system comes in, it brings devastation to one part of the country, but the other part of the country really needed that rain, (laughs) really needed a change in weather. God does that throughout the world with all of the weather systems uh, and all of the raindrops and all of that throughout the world. God sends down the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He uh, uses it for justice. He uses it for um, discipline for God's people. He might also use it to provide for his people. And who are we to say which one is which? Chapter 37. Last chapter. Not the last chapter of Job, but the last chapter that we're talking about today. Again, we're focusing on the goodness of God um, and the justice of God. Verse 1. When I hear this, my heart races and leaps from its place. Listen, listen to the booming thunder of his voice, to the rumble that goes out from his mouth. He turns it loose across the whole sky, and his light reaches the ends of the earth. After the lightning, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain the lightning. Then his voice is heard. God thunders with his voice in wondrous ways. He does great things which we do not understand. To the snow, he says, fall on the earth. To the pouring rain, the torrential downpours of the rain, he says, be strong. He brings an end to all the work of men's hands so that they recognize his work. The wild animals take shelter in their lairs. They remain in their dens. A winter wind comes down, out from its room and driving winds bring icy cold. The breath of God produces ice. The wind, wide surface of the water turns solid. Yes, he loads dark clouds with moisture and he fills the clouds with his light. The clouds swirl around at his direction. They do whatever he commands them over the face of the whole inhabited world. Whether, whether their purpose is to bring punishment or mercy to the world. There it is. Whether their purpose is to bring punishment or mercy to the world, he makes them achieve their goal. Listen to this, Job. Stand still and recognize the wonders of God. Do you know how God arranges them? Do you know how he makes his light shine out from his clouds? Do you know how the clouds float in the sky, these marvels produced by perfect knowledge, you whose clothing is too hot for you when the land rests quietly because of the hot south wind? Can you help him spread out the clouds when the sky is as hard as a metal mirror teach us that we what we should say to him? We are not able to prepare our case because of the darkness darkness in our heart verse twenty twenty should he be notified that I want to speak, or would a man who said that be swallowed up? but no one can look at the sun. It is too bright when the wind has cleared the sky of the clouds. God's golden splendor comes from the north. God is surrounded by awesome majesty. As for the Almighty, we cannot comprehend him. He is exalted in power, but he does not violate justice and great righteousness. Therefore, men should revere him because he has regard for all those who are wise in heart. That's the end of chapter 37. That's the end of Elihu's fourth speech. Question, if you were suffering, would you want Elihu to come visit you? Nobody said yes. <laughs> uh, he is the most direct of the four friends. At, but at the same time, what he has to say is different from the four friends because he's going to be talking about how God remains loving even in when it doesn't seem like it, it is, um, even when he sends afflictions on the godly. God, the almighty creator, is always just. He is the source of all judgments. And God does not exercise his judgment and justice based on the standards that we would like to set for him. He sets his standards up for himself. So oftentimes he's got a bigger picture than we do. And when God allows affliction to happen to the godly, he's got a good purpose in mind. Uh, Sometimes he is causing us to grow stronger through it what questions do you have on Elihu's four discourses next time we're going to be talking about God's discourse with Job we're going to finish off the book and in the end we will find peace uh, in life's unpredictable past as we have throughout this whole book and to that end let us pray Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, even though you are far beyond us, that you are concerned about the affairs of humankind. We also thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to be our Savior. Um, because of him, we have the assurance that we will go to heaven, that uh, your justice isn't going to send us to hell, but rather uh, because of your great mercy and forgiveness, uh, you give us the righteousness we need to get to heaven. Um, be with us, Lord. Keep us strong in Your Word. Help us to hold on to Your Word and Your means of grace, even when it is, appe- is appealing to look for Your Word elsewhere in in the, in the in in the big billboards of life. Help us also to reach out to those who are suffering. That we would speak the truth to them. Uh, that we would encourage them. That the God that when they're wondering the question of why and wondering about God's justice and goodness, that we remind them of of some of these thoughts that Eli who gave today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Until then, have peace, friends, in Jesus Christ, in life's unpredictable past. Because of Jesus, we can have the assurance that, uh, that God loves us and that he is watching over us, that he is involved in our lives in a positive way and not a negative way, that he's involved in our lives to punish us. Um, Find peace in in Jesus. God, go with you.